to intro it? Yep. Welcome to the Todd and Taylor Show. I'm Taylor Trask. And I'm Todd A. And we had recorded a podcast uh, previously where we were going to talk about two different Netflix shows. You uh, with Luke Cage, me with a, a, a little show called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. However, <laughs> as if you listen to that one, we got I so excited. <laughs> we, we, we went a little long. We got a little excited about Luke Cage. Um, so we decided to bump uh, my show to this episode. So in this episode... I'm going to be talking to you about uh, the little show on Netflix called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Which I'm all sorts of interested in because in a lot of ways it is uh, it is very opposite from Luke Cage. Uh, oh, yes. You know, <laughs> very one much. Of, one of our running themes of like how many episodes do you do for a season? Uh, this was BBC maybe? So, it was, yeah, so it's this- just seven episodes. It's, you know um, – they should set it up for me. What in well, the world? Well, we said, said a little different from Luke Cage. Luke Cage is about uh, you know black folks in Harlem. Mister Norrell and <laughs> Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell is about pasty white people in England uh, in the time of of uh, Charles Dickens, I guess. No, so it's <laughs> actually it is a show that wasn't. It's not a Netflix original, but damn, right. does it feel like it? Um, right. It was produced by the uh, BBC and is actually based on a book. That came out in I don't know like the 2004. early 2000s. Yeah, around that time, I, was, I knew it was kind of like in the time of Harry Potter, and I know that because when that book came out, Barnes and Noble and Borders and all those places were pushing it pretty yeah. heavily as like no kidding, the, the adult Harry Potter, and I was like, ooh, what is that? And the cover was very sort of nondescript, so it was kind of like, well, ooh, yeah. Was, and I remember seeing it, but I just never really picked it up. I had a couple of friends that did, and yeah, it has a great it. ampersand right in the middle of the cover. Yeah, really does. And so when this came out, as a, uh, when they were talking about making a series, I remember IO9 and um, a bunch of different sites were really excited about it, and, and you know, were talking about it, talking about it happening. I didn't quite get the the hype, um, and then sure enough, it found its way to Netflix and was quickly in the sort of trending list that they give you. And I just popped in, you know, one day a couple weeks ago thinking, okay, I'm just going to check this out and just see. And two days later, I'd finished the whole damn thing off and was just blown away um, and have since actually rewatched it again a second time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's – man, it is it is great. Um, let me kind of backtrack a little bit. So it's it's one of those shows that – Well, let me, let me stop you right there. When, yeah, did yeah. It, when did it actually come out on BBC? Do you know? That's a good question. I think, hang on, miniseries. In the last couple of years, though, right? Oh, no, very last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow, May, okay. summer of last, so May of last year. When you and I were starting the Todd and Taylor show, this was um, this was happening. So it's it's been around that line that Netflix had it, and I think it's, word has it that it's so popular on Netflix that Netflix is jonesing for them to do a season two, which is a little awkward because the BBC, I think, has the rights um to it they've got to they've got to do it here's the thing though if you've seen a lot of and the, and don't get me wrong the bbc makes great content um you know, everything from doctor who to even that um you know they're they're kind of uh made for bbc movies that they do but this was kind of on another level right this felt like an hbo show this felt like a netflix huh. show um and it really so it was it was weird to even think of it as being a bbc show because it just had all those the cinematography and sensibilities of you know again an hbo show of game of thrones like i'm just weird that it didn't appear there uh you literally just you just sort of knew about the book uh but you just sort of dipped your toes into the the series once it was on netflix it's not like you came into it like 
a big fan, like knowing, no, knowing exactly. what it, you weren't anticipating its release on Netflix. I knew nothing. I knew nothing of it other than just what, you know, the, the you'd little seen description. The book at some point. I'd seen yeah. the book. I'd seen them talking about an IO9 and stuff, but I, I had no notion of the story other than what you just read in like little description. So this was great, right? In the sense that I got to come in completely fresh, spoiler free. Um, that is rare these days. So cool. it was good to just you know kind of jump in and that I think just made it all the more enticing. Um, also enticing was the fact that they cast this thing with much like Carnival cast a bunch of BNC level actors and just let them shine. This did the same thing. Eddie Marzan, who you've seen, you know, he played uh, Detective Lestrade in the uh, RDJ Sherlock Holmes movies. He's, you know, he's in Mission Impossible Ooh, 3, right. strangely. He's this little sort of hobbit guy that you keep seeing pop around. He's the lead. He's Mr. Norrell, or Mr. Norrell, as he's sometimes referred to. And this other guy, um, Bertie Carvel, I forget what he's in, but he's Jonathan Strange. Uh, the uh, Thoris of Mir from Game of Thrones is in it. <laughs> and like, he pops, he basically just wandered in in wearing his Thoros of Mir costume. Um Whoa. It was, I mean, he's just, he's got tattoos. So there's all these like sort of like lower level British actors you've kind of seen before who just get to just own their scenes, own their characters. That was really cool to see. Um, you know, so there's a lot of sort of kind of familiar faces, but it doesn't get in the way of the story, right? It's not like, oh, there's that guy. Oh, it's kind of like, man, I, I know that guy from somewhere and dang, he's really just he's settling in nicely. So the story, you know, before we get too far in, the story is about two. Well, really, it starts off with one guy, uh, Mr. Norrell, who is in Britain in, in I think, like the 1700s, maybe uh, 19th century, I think. So the maybe early 1800s. And he uh, collects magical books and is kind of what, what is referred to as a, uh, a practical magician in that he's, you know, he reads, he studies, he's kind of a historian, but he also practices it and does stuff. And it's his goal to, to bring magic back. And do it in a dignified way and really make it about, you know, make magic not this, you know, like he, they always refer to kind of like, you know, magic when it was, you know, 300 years prior when it was about, you know, witches and wizard, wizards and, you know, nonsense. And he wants to make it an actually a dignified sort of art. And So I've got, a, I got a question for you right yeah. there. Does that mean that they acknowledge that back in the day it, it did exist? Like yes. is this a oh, yeah. world in which they, they recognize that magic existed yes it's just it's just sort of lost its dignity yeah well it existed okay. and then, so so there was this character called the raven king who gets referred to a lot um okay. and he was sort of like the last bastion of the old magic you know and it was and and so society had kind of moved on so magic has kind of you become more legend than anything else and okay. there's these other you know kind of the the opening episode starts with this kind of like the society of magic with these guys and all they do they don't practice it they just all they do is kind of sit around a table and drink and talk about how magic used to be. And, you know, like they're more like um, uh, there's practical magicians and then there's like theoretical magicians. So they're the magicians who just sort of you know, read books and they're constantly bitching about the fact they can't get any magic books anymore because Gilbert Norrell has them all. And so <laughs> they go and they kind of they they start to really um, in, investigate that more. And, and Gilbert Norrell to try to shut them up says, all right, if you come here and I do a. Uh, a feat of magic you have to promise to uh disavow or to, to break up the society and stop pursuing magic so like all I, right fine they kind of treat it like it's you know like a joke like well he doesn't really know like no one's seen right. magic performed in 300 years so it's like who you know 
he's not going to do it. Well, I have another question for you right there. Yeah. So you, about the 300 years, are those 300 years roughly analogous to actual history? Like, is it like the king, the queen of England, at the, or the king or queen of England at this time is yes. the one that really was the queen? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. it, it mirrors the actual history pretty closely. Okay. So, so it's, it's not like an alternate history. It's it's a real it's a, like a real history with uh, alternate circumstances. It feels like that because there's a parliament. You know, it's like like England right, is right, settled right. in France, and you know all the cities and Venice exists, and like all the stuff exists. There's a war between France and and England. You know, so it's the, the, all of that's still in place. It's just that okay. this idea and and the thing about that I really like that you especially on the second viewing through, you really start to see all the metaphors to actual. English society and class, and especially like the North versus the South, you know, in mo- in the modern timeline or the, you know, the, the, the actual timeline, the North has become um, uh, kind of analogous to the, the U S South and that it's, it's kind of more rural. It's very industrial, you know, it's looked up, it's kind of looked on in England as kind of like the lesser of, of, of England, you know, like the people in the South kind of look at the North and sort of a snooty way, like, oh, the North, you know, the oh, yeah. Northerners in this story, it's prior to industrial, you know, in England. And so the North is almost like the backwards mat. You know, that's where the magic was. Right. So that's, where oh. it it's almost like those people in the North, it's, it's mysterious and it's magical and it's, we're, it's, it's still kind of the other, but it's for those reasons, not for like, you know, industrial. That's or, a really cool twist. And so, yeah, so you get kind of like that, that same classism kind of exists in that way. The whole thing is really like Downton Abbey and Harry Potter kind of merged together. It's, it's interesting in that way. So you get Gilbert Norrell, he you know, brings these, this society over and you get to see some of the people in the society kind of keep popping up in various ways as the series goes on. But he actually does, he invites him to this church and he, he's still in his mansion. Um, and he does this feat of magic where he brings all the stone statues in the church to life. And they're all like speaking like nonsense, like weird, like cryptic kind of, kind of words. And so the guys who are there, like half of them are like kind of awestruck and wonder like, Oh my God, he actually did it. Half of them are running around, like completely scared out of their minds, you know, not thinking he may have, you know, summoned the demon or something like that. So that, that event causes a big stir and everybody starts to talk you know the press gets wind of it and so everybody starts to talk about it he uses it and and uh mr norrell has this really great manservant who's kind of like he's less his manservant and more his kind of like you know friend and confidant and he also sort of is is skilled in magic as well um his manservant tells him he's like you got to use this event to actually go to london and get yourself into the the graces of parliament and society and stuff so he does so they go down there the whole time He's constantly just Gilbert Norrell. He's, he's very fun, you know. Very uh, he's like a stickler about everything. He doesn't like people really. He just wants to sit in his library and read his books. But he wants magic to be respectable. So he's he wants to accomplish that. But he doesn't want like he doesn't want to go to parties. He doesn't want to do all these things. And he kind of keeps getting solicited into like you know going to this this guy's house because he's got this party and that will help him get noticed more and all these things kind of happen. So eventually. He um, he does get in with, uh, I think, not the prime minister, but like the next guy down, like the minister of defense or something. He gets in with that guy and, f- you know, finally, you know, pre- kind of uh, kind of proves himself to that guy and, and, and gets in there. Meanwhile, um, so, oh, go so ahead. why would he do that? Why, I mean, what's it just just for the sake of magic, like having its honor restored? And he wants to use magic to, like, help England win the war. And OK, OK. England like, is. Yeah, there is some sort of. 
patriotic reason for it. Yeah, and he just really wants to be dignified, and he wants to, you know, he he wants to be known as sort of a a major force in in British history, you know, as like this as a gentleman magician. And again, it's very much about that. And like they want, he wants to do away with like, you know talk of fairies and all this kind of stuff. He doesn't want any part like that was that drug us down. That made England less dignified that, you know, sort of drug our name through the mud. I don't want, I don't want to be part of that. I want to bury that. And we're going to make England. And he almost, he almost treats it very clinically. Like it's, you know, like a medical profession. Like that's kind of where he is with it. Um, Meanwhile, further North, there's this guy, this sort of um, son of a, of a wealthy elite named Jonathan strange. And he's kind of bumbling around and they, they show you a couple scenes of him, like not knowing what he wants to do with his life. He's tried a bunch of different stuff. You know, he's, he's kind of a spoiled sort of, you know, uh, spoiled son of this guy, you know, this, this, this land baron. He's, he's chasing after this woman he's in love with her, you know, her brother's the priest. And so you get, you kind of get his story. Um, and then his very early on, his father dies. So he inherits his father's estate and he thinks, okay, this is now I'm finally going to have, you know, be able, be able to marry this woman. And I get to, you know, kind of figure out what I'm going to do. He runs into Thoros of Mir <laughs> from Game of Thrones. I forget what is, what is he called in this? He's not called Thoros of Mir. He's called, um, oh God. Uh, this is not the Raven King. No, no, no. But this is a guy. He's got Thorosamir has got tattoos all over his body. But he, and that guy, that character's constantly talking about the Raven King. He's like, oh, the Raven King. And he actually runs into Mr. Norrell early on too. And Mr. Norrell is kind of like, get him out of here. Like that's we don't <laughs> want. so that actually he goes to the north. He runs into Jonathan Strange and he says, oh my God, you're you're part of this prophecy. There was going to be two magicians and you're one of them. And he's like, I am. He's like, yeah, you are. So he. He kind of takes that to heart. He's like, well, that's cool. I'm, maybe I should study magic. So he kind of tries to – he doesn't have access to any books. And there's this running joke that Gilbert Neural has bought. He's like the patron saint of library, of uh, bookstores because he's bought all the magic books and has basically hoarded them for him for his own, right? So nobody can get a hold of magic books anymore because he's – Gilbert right. Neural bought them all. So Jonathan Strange is trying to – like he's he's gotten the whole like, you know, like pamphlets and, uh, you know, this – just random bits of pieces of information. So he's, he and his friends kind of go off and his, his fiance, they, he tries to kind of figure out how to do magic. And eventually the two guys end up meeting um, and form this friendship and form this relationship. And, you know, Gilbert Norrell is very clinical, very, you know, historian, very academic, you know, he kind of reminded me of that character from Harry Potter. He's like, it's just purely academic, Mr. Potter, you know, like that guy, um, Slughorn. Uh, whereas Jonathan Strange, you can tell more and more is, fascinated by what magic used to be and really wants to he's like we should be looking into the stuff he's like why don't we you know norrell won't really let him delve into the past and really try to you know work on some of those spells and figure that out so there's kind of like this you can see early on there's this rift between the two even though they really respect each other um and yeah at some point you know the, the government has them put up like uh beacons to sort of keep the the french fleet away and a lot of what Gilbert Neural does is kind of, you know, they show him doing some tricks, but a lot of what he does is kind of invisible or is harder to quantify. Whereas Jonathan Strange, at one point, and, and this is kind of where the uh, a really cool turning point, at one point, um, Norrell's away, and they're like, hey, one of our ships tipped over because of the beacons that Norrell put up. Like, we need you to f- come fix it. And he's like, and Jonathan Strange's like, well, I don't really think I should. Like, like no, 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 come on, we need you out here. And so he goes out there. And that there's this giant, like you know, like a uh, you know, British fleet ship tipped over on this on this sort of uh, sand uh, uh, jetty or something, um, and he 
he doesn't know how to, what to do. And he kind of invents the spell out of nothing and causes like all the sand on the beach to form horses that tip the, you know, that charge at the, the boat and tip it back over again. So it's visually, they show you like actual magic being performed. Like, right. It's not like, hmm. it's not like you, they just talk about it never like they actually show you some really cool stuff happening, but it's still like, you know, there, there's like this group of people watching on the beach and they're almost just kind of like, Oh, that's, that's just jolly good. And then, isn't it like they Nobody's really like, impressed nope. well they're impressed but nobody goes oh oh my god like if anything they're right. just like oh bravo sir bravo well done like nobody's like taken back or they they kind of get to the point really quickly where magic is just accepted and not this like crazy demon thing that like you know kind of in the very beginning it was so he does that and right away they're like oh my god you're actually you're actually more powerful than mr norell um so we want you on the front lines so we're going to send you to the peninsula um, they're always talking about the peninsula where the war is going on. So they they send him over, and I think is it Cor- it's not Cornwallis or Cornwell or Cromwell. There's one there's like a legendary British general who's there who takes him in and like you know, again and, and everybody in in the army is kind of like magic. Why are we why are we messing around with this? Eventually though they kind of see the value in it too, and then they almost like they almost expect too much out of him. So they you get to see Jonathan Strange. He goes to the he goes to war while Mr. Norell's back, you know, kind of you know, furthering his cause. And the two, you know, it's over the course of seven episodes, the two have this relationship that grows tenuous at times and it's friendly at times, and then they're they're rivals at one point. Um and so you get to see that unfold. Meanwhile, and that that's all one kind of story arc. Well, let me let me ask you this because uh, the so the effect of like summoning these horses out of the sand. Uh-huh. What are the effects like in this? Or like are they are they good? Are yeah, they... they're really good. No, they're okay. really it's it's not cheesy. Like he gets he kind of conjures the spell. He gets frustrated because he doesn't know what he's doing, and right. he thrusts his hands into the sand, and then all of a sudden like this kind of earthquake effect happens, and you see the sand kind of form and you know blow, and then it forms the horses and the horses hit the thing. So it's, I would say any of the effects you see in this show are right on par with game of Thrones. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. So that's it's, huge. It's good. Yeah. It's like, that's what I'm saying. This show for being a BBC production is really well done. Like they really just, it, and there's so many gorgeous shots that just the scenic design, even just really well staged, really well shot. Like it's just pretty to look at, right. You want to like, right. you want to visit this version of England. You're like, Jesus looks good. Um, so that's that's the main story arc is those two guys and their relationship. Meanwhile, though, there's this other story arc that kicks off pretty soon too, where um, as Mr. Norrell or as Gilbert Norrell is, is um, and there's this whole there's another running joke too by the way. He his name is Gilbert Norrell, but as everybody's kind of you know kind of hyping him up and you know trying to befriend him and his sort of they refer to him as Mr. Norrell like that that's kind of like and he that just drives him more nuts because he's like my name is Mr. Norrell like he he doesn't like people in that way but early on when he's trying to make the acquaintance of the minister of defense uh that guy's fiance falls deathly sick and dies and so they bring him over and this is before he meets Jonathan Strange they bring him over and they're like can you do anything to help her and he's like I'll, I guess I'll try he goes up to her room and he's like he has no idea what to do he's like I don't man he's like you know I'm not going to do black magic because that's I've sworn not to do that and he thinks to himself about like you know at one point you could summon a fairy to help you and as soon as he does this guy appears who's you know very clearly a fairy but kind of reminds me a lot of just has kind of the vibe of David Bowie in Labyrinth. 
<laughs> which you haven't seen, which we'll talk about another. No, I, I have actually seen Labyrinth. Oh, you have? Okay. But, but I only saw it in my 30s. That's, oh, right. that's the problem with that movie, yes. But this guy, in, in the book, he's referred to as the gentleman with the thistle-down hair. That's never mentioned until the very, very, very end in this. Okay. But he's clearly like this this fairy that has like Beethoven hair. He's got like, a, you know, he's very well-dressed, but it's kind of like, you know, a woodland style, like, you know, English gentleman's outfit. And uh, he's very... Okay. So, like literally, like, I mean, like... So these like fairies exist in this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and, okay, and okay. We only see this one though, and he's he's you know he's a regular, he's as tall as a regular person, but he's clearly you know he's got like kind of elvish ears and features and things, but he's he's very he himself is very much dignified and wants to you know so it's kind of an interesting sort of mirror on Mr. Norell, and he offers Mr. Norell's help if Mr. Norell becomes his sort of pupil slash slave, and Mr. Norell's like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't. I don't want anything to do with you. I just want you to fix this one thing and then be off with you. And he's like, all right, I'll bring her back to life, but half, but I'm going to make a bargain. And the bargain is half of her life is mine. So he's like, I'm going to bring her back and half her life is mine. He's like, and Mr. Norrell goes, oh yeah, okay. So, um, so when she's like 40, and I think in the, in the story, she's like 23. He's like, so when she's like 40, then you get to have her. And he doesn't really respond to that. And he takes her pinky finger as like payment he just kind of pulls it off of her and he like he keeps it he's like this will be a token of my of the deal and then if you come to find that what he meant was not that she'll live half her life and then get to live with him is that when she falls asleep then she goes into this other fairy world and she lives with him um so she slowly starts to go mad because every night she instead of sleeping she ends up getting whisked away to this labyrinth world where she dances with him in this courtyard, in this kind of creepy, you know, fairy mansion that's all dilapidated. It's the mansion is called, I think, the Mansion of Lost Hope, or the world is called the uh, like Lost Hope. They they refer to it that as that way. So so Mr. Norell's got is com- from the outset is like he's made this deal with the devil essentially that he's continuing to regret, and that just pushes him further to you know. Anytime Jonathan Strange asks about fairies or asks about deep magic, he's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to talk about that. The, the the you know the matter's closed. And he never tells him what he did until the you know until way later on, like that kind of comes back out again. So you get to see this fairy, and he's got a bunch of different motives, and he he ends up uh, befriending the slave. Well, not the slave, the house, like the lead house servant of the of the minister of defense. Um, and so he he ends up kind of employing a lot of these people in his plans and stuff, and he's got like all these sinister motives. So there's that story arc as well, and then it all kind of comes to a head at the very, very end. Um, and something happens to Jonathan Strange's wife. That is just, it's, it's crazy. It's heartbreaking. It's, you're like, Oh God, you get reinvested in the show in a whole new way. Um, so that like about the, about, about midway through when you're like, okay, I think I know where this is going. They sort of change it up on you in a really interesting way. And then they make it about something completely different. And you're like, Oh wow. Um, or they, they kind of take you on a new on a new chapter that's just as compelling. So the now, whole thing is wired together really really well. Would you say it's it is more concentrated on those sort of uh, interpersonal dramas between these characters, where the, or is it, mm. or is most of the big action about like the war and then being co-opted into government service and stuff like that. I mean, kind of both. It's kind of both. There's a lot of really good development, but we see a lot of like, there's a lot of scenes of Jonathan strange on the front lines, you know, performing actual magic. Like, and at one point he actually, he tried, he has to do black magic to bring these like, 
these guys from the opposite side who died back to life so they can tell him what happened, but then he can't, he doesn't know how to make them dead again. So they're just there. They have to, <laughs> they have to burn down the house and that gives him like PTSD. Um, Jeez. he's constantly talking about it. Yeah. It's kind of grim and grisly and everything. So when he gets back, I'm spoiling the shit out of this whole thing, but like when he gets back from war, like he has PTSD so badly, he says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to perform magic any ever again. I'm just going to be a theoretical magician and write a book. And that'll be that. By that point though, Norell is kind of pissed at him for a number of reasons. So there's like this, that rivalry continues on. Um, so you get to see a lot of just, it, it's, it's one of those shows very much like stranger things where you finish an episode and you're just like, Oh God, that was just one episode. It felt like four, like packed together. Like, how is this just one? Um, really it in fact very much like stranger things in that respect very considered like every minute is used very very well uh like nothing was wasted story-wise um which i appreciate Interesting. so yeah it's it very it, it again it has it has a lot of the sort of uh wonder and sort of intrigue of harry potter and a lot of the magic but there's not you know there's not like people running around like screaming about a cadaver at people with wands and stuff. Like it's very, you know, the people who can actually do magic are just strange and Norell. And then, you know, his uh, Norell's manservant and maybe like, you know, the fairy obviously, but it's very limited. Um, you know, at one point too, that they, uh, they end up getting called to the King who had gone mad and they're, they're, they're like, you know, we want you guys to come and try to help the King. And they're standing there in the sort of the receiving room. And Jonathan Strange, you know, you know tells him, he's like, you know, we're, He's like, we're we're helping the king. Now we can say we can do magic by royal appointment, uh, royal appointment, and that's very dignified, right? And it's like there's so they're they're still chasing that. Like we want magic to be dignified. That sort of legitimacy for their yeah. But then but then eventually Jonathan Strange gets really into sort of like the Raven King and everything, and he really you know he he figures out how to get to the land of lost hope, and he's like, we should be using these passageways, and so there's a lot of really cool stuff there too, and just I'm. It's it is the perfect balance of Downton Abbey sort of class interpersonal conflict stuff, um, you know, sort of the magic and wonder of Harry Potter, and just sort of good Game of Thrones style, you know, mythology, and it it balances all those things really, really, really well. No, not any one of those things overwhelms the other. So it's not like you get so much you know visual effects that you're just like okay. I mean, they're it's used sparsely, and when it's used, it's really well done. Um, and just and just in the same measure, like you don't get so many like people in a room just talking where you're like, oh, it, it it really justifies every scene and it justifies every you know all the action is really well placed and I don't I I will watch it a third time and love it just as much and see more things that I didn't catch the first time. Interesting. Now, is it? Do you know anything about like are they planning to do more things in this world or does this story kind of wrap it up? It no. It very much it wraps up one of the main sort of threads but it very much the very last 10 minutes are clearly set up to give you another season if they decide to do one gotcha um, there's because a big I'm... huge what if that you're like oh and then they they really tee it up nicely to to jump back in if they ever want to oh i did i did see when i read a little bit about the author because i too had always been intrigued by that book and the cover and didn't really know what it was about um that you know when i when i googled her before our conversation um saw that she began working on this uh more than 10 years before it was published yeah and so during that time she was publishing short stories from the universe of it oh neat i didn't know that that's so then read those afterwards her second book is actually a collection of short stories which i assume that's what they're talking about but 
it's all focused on the women. Yeah. So yeah. it's like uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is about the, the relationship of those two men mainly. And then there's a collection of short stories. Um, yeah. Well, you get to see – well, they do focus on like – so the woman, the woman who he saved, who then goes crazy, and then like uh, Jonathan Strange's wife, like you get a lot yeah. of a lot of scenes with those people too. So it does, it, you know, it's strange. It's called Jonathan. No pun intended. It's <laughs> it's a little odd. It's called Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell, but and then yeah, they're the main characters, but it doesn't. You know, you spend a lot of time away from those characters too, right? Right. Um, you know what they want and what they do in the world and who it affects. You spend just as much time with those characters. Well, and trying to understand, you know, what that what the repercussions are and where they go. I mean, back you know, back to our eternal conversation about Netflix kind of shows and and stuff like this. Like, if there is a universe, is that like we've talked a little bit about this um, as far as the upcoming American Gods series and like how much of that. Are they going to pull from the sort of expanded universe? Mm -hmm. Because there's a, there's a, a a novel American Gods, and then there's another novel that has to do with the characters, but not the same characters, correct? And we know, uh, and we yeah, know so they're American using that that information in the show American Gods, and it sounds like maybe they've got the same thing for Strange and Norrell. Like it's well, you know, the difference she's there got though a couple is that of books and Neil Gaiman's done American Gods, and then there was a sequel called The Nancy Boys, which follows one of the characters from American Gods and more or less his kids. Um, but Neil Gaiman has said, he's been very open with the show to say, you guys can have, use whatever you want right. and feel free to invent enough to, to build this world out to do as many seasons as you like. He's being very generous with just the world. And it's like, you know, you can kind of opposite from game of thrones where they're like we have to follow the books he's like no no you've got this right. book but i'll you know i'll give you story ideas i'll give you whatever you guys want to do I, I am basically part of your team now um you know in terms of old content and any new stuff so let's let's continue the story on which is cool well um, i this, wonder in a lot of ways if game of thrones is showing people how not to do it yeah like if, you, if you come out of the gate like we are a super faithful interpretation of the books when you aren't able to fulfill that expectation those book readers really turn on you from what i understand this does follow the book pretty uh, strange and oh, cool. follows the book pretty well but uh, i wonder what because she has to apparently she's got to finish like the next like book book like the you know like the actual sequel of the story gotcha. um, and i from what i've read there's some dis there's some discomfort around like well is she gonna finish it, it we really want to do another season so maybe um, you told me about that or I read that you know before our conversation that there was some sort of worry that she won't finish before they have to go into production and they're just gonna go into production anyway well and they haven't they haven't started production I mean they haven't planned it yeah, but this gotcha. has become so successful that I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix doesn't go to the BBC going, we're going to co, uh, co finance this with you. We will, let's make this happen. We want this next year. Like, um, you know, and so in that case, if BBC owns the rights to the story, they can kind of do whatever they want. I mean, obviously they would probably consult her, but you know, it could, it could go horribly wrong too. I mean, she really did a great job. And it, if it took 10 years to write this thing, I can see why it's so nuanced and so detailed and so, you know, it juxtaposes with actual history in such a cool way um, that, it, you know, if and it, and here's the best part, though, if it takes them five or six years to make a sequel, it won't be weird because the way they left the story would allow for that. You know, it would you could very easily pick up 10 years from now. 
when everybody's 10 years older and it wouldn't feel like, oh man, they can't do it now because everybody's older. Like it, it would totally work. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, they, they're kind of in a really great spot with it, but I, there's so much more I could say, but I, you know, I've spoiled so much and I, it's one of those things that you just got to kind of drink in. And I mean, there's so many little things that are just little moments where you're like, oh my God, oh my God, like that, oh, just little things that they do so very well. Well, um, you, you talked a little bit, I asked you about the magic and how real those effects work, but, um, the same question about like the setting of it. I mean, if it is 19th century, does it feel like, uh, you know, budget in any way, or does it look like no, pretty, pretty no. legit? It looks, it looks again, a lot of BBC stuff you've seen today does have that budgety feel. you are like, Oh, you can see the constraints. Yeah. This, I mean, this looks just like, I mean, it looks just like it would if um, they were to shoot uh, Sherlock Holmes, RDJ, or any like any of those. And in fact, even better because they don't rely on green screen a lot. A lot of it's just practical sets, practical locations. You know, just really set designed really, 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 really well. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't feel that whatsoever. Well, one of the interesting things I I dug up when I looked it up was that there was a a quote from of all people George. R.R. Martin saying he watched the series before he read the book, and in his mind, you could appreciate one or both of them. Like they were both, like they were both so, I guess, uh, complete in that way and effective, like in in their own way. That um, you know, you're not, you didn't feel like you missed anything mm-hmm. by just by just consuming one or the other. And uh, I don't know. That's all, that's. I, you know, I mean, I I would say that things I've seen from BBC lately have really amazing production value. Oh yeah, so don't I, get me wrong. But, but they definitely have that reputation of being like masterpiece theater or something. Yeah. You know, where you think like, oh, if it's a period piece with magic, it's gonna look like an old Sherlock Holmes set with like a lot of smoke or something. <laughs> yeah. No, they. I mean, they. I mean, good lord, eighty percent of this thing is shot outdoors too. So it's. Oh like, wow. You know, it's they really. Pardon me. They really go for it. And the other thing too is like, there's this. You will watch this and then want to go collect antique books like crazy. Like this, this thing has they. It really plays into. I mean, like books were the the Netflix of that time. You know, like book publishers were like you know were massive. And so like, you know, everything from Norell's love of books and his library to just how the culture interacts with books is really cool. Um, you, you just you get a really nice blast of that time, that era, the sensibilities of that era, you know, even the diseases and the you know, the dangers of that era. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it all oh God, it's, well, I, it doesn't it doesn't make it so fantastical that it's not believable. You know. Well, so I got another question along those lines. Sometimes when we see like historical dramas like that, they uh, these days they suffer from there seem to be two extremes they go to. One is that they're like either so cliched in like the stereotypes we've seen of characters, you know, mm-hmm. that it kind of weighs it down. Do you feel like these are like wholly original three-dimensional characters? I mean, is this something we haven't seen before or is it masterpiece theater with magic? You know, no, see, now you say that. It's well, not- I guess the contrast to that is I think of the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movies where it's like, they go the other way where it's like, here's the extreme take on. Oh Yeah. <laughs> You know, I always no, I always think no, of like Sherlock Holmes guy Ritchie <laughs> movies as like, oh right, the historical uh, 18th century ninja from England. Yeah, no, no, no. Know? It's definitely, definitely not that, but it's definitely not as mundane as masterpiece theater with magic. Yeah, uh, 
it's somewhere in it does have it has the nuance and sensibility of Downton Abbey because Downton Abbey is a very rich detailed world but it's not just I mean it's got the it's got a lot of the sort of the 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 sensibilities of Harry Potter too and the mystery and just sort of you okay. know so it's a nice juxtaposition of those two things I think the characters by the time it's done you get a really good three-dimensional sense of most of the characters yeah um you know, in the beginning, especially with Mr. Norrell, he's very – you don't get a sense of his background, so you don't really know why he is the way he is. But his journey and his evolution is satisfying by the end because um, you do get to see like, oh, oh, I see. Some of his decisions that seem a little off-putting at first are – you know, you kind of get a sense of why he did what he did or, you know, why he is the way – like it does really – by the time it's done, you, for both of the main characters, you're like, okay, I really, I really understand. The only one who doesn't have that is the gentleman, is the the gentleman uh, fairy, who right. is, doesn't need it. I mean, he is a a one dimensional like, and that that you know what that is sort of where the one dimensional dimensionality lies in the magical world, where it's like there are mm. these archetypes that are you know unbudging because that they are archetypes, they are mythical archetypes, and they don't need to budge. Like that's what they are. Um, they just simply are that way. So like when you see them interact with the real world, I guess it kind of it almost heightens that for both sides a little bit more. So you're like, okay, here are these people that are changing, evolving. Here's this this fairy who is exactly the same way he was 300 years prior and a thousand right. years prior. You know, it's like he's not going to change. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah, and you know, and in some way, that's like complaining that like the Demogorgon doesn't have a personality or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's sort of like this is the magical creature that you know interacts with the actual three dimensional human beings. There's, you know, what there is a lot of not and and be careful when I say this. It's not like a one to one comparison, but there's a lot of Stranger Things sort of moments that really layer on top of this really nicely, like. At one point, somebody from somebody you've gotten to know and love gets taken to mm. not and not just the not just the woman whose life has been bargained away, but somebody gets actually like taken away from the world into the fairy world by gotcha. the gentleman. Um, right. And then there's some of the, the the last half of the series is trying to get that character back, um, and like what that. So there's a lot of that going on, and then just like even the way the 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 land of lost hope looks very much. Huh. Sort of echoes the upside down and i I know like neither show referenced the other i'm sure of it but just it's kind of interesting that they sort of have this you can watch stranger things and watch this and go oh, okay okay <laughs> this is the english stranger things and in some ways but again it's not that story directly right right not, of course not like, well, you know, and i may have asked this uh earlier so i'm sorry if i'm repeating myself but how long is each episode are they an hour Oh God, that's a great question. They feel like they're about three hours each. They feel like okay. little mini movies. I mean, they they pack so much in. You're just like Jesus. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say an hour. <sighs> Shoot, let me just look in the Wikipedia. Interesting. Well, it's funny because, and um, I'll tell you one of the other funny nuggets while you look that up. Sixty uh, minutes. Yep, you're right. Okay, so each each episode is one hour, and there's seven episodes. So you know, that's that's not a bad miniseries no it's it's but i'm telling you you will finish one just like stranger things and go wait that was just one what like it really does they they pack so much in um well that's cool 
I, I mean that, but it, you know, sort of one of those. I don't know that we've ever talked about it directly, but we've definitely indirectly assessed like, how do you get into stuff like that? Like, if you look at a show that people tell you, oh, this is cool, but there's 20 episodes of it and they're each an hour long, or there's yeah. just 13. I mean, even if you're talking about uh, superhero shows, the Marvel shows. It's intimidating. You, we just said this in our last podcast. Like, it's kind of hard to look at Daredevil season two and go, "Yeah, it's going to be worth thirteen hours of my time." Yeah. Um, but seven hours, you know, spread this out over a couple of days, and like this, you know, though I'm much more intrigued by hearing you describe it uh, than previously because I did think it was going to be sort of the uh, magic version. of of the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movies. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that's maybe, definitely what I thought. Just from, I shouldn't, from I shouldn't even use that comparison because it's no, not. you didn't. I did. I mean, that okay. was so. Um, oh, yeah. I guess you did say the RDJ uh, <laughs> Sherlock's I, earlier. I may have inferred and, it, and only I only did that so you didn't think it was masterpiece. Theory. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's, it is very much. You know, it, it, it kind of stands on its own. It's something that we'll compare other stuff to down the road. We're like, it's, you know, it's got a sensibility that is very original and very organic to what it needs to be. Does it feel like a Netflix show in that way? Yes. Like oh, it's, God, it's yes. It's kind of like it's, it's its own thing and it's like a perfect capsule that you can just get into. And 100%. 100%. That's cool because in our last podcast when we talked about Luke Cage, we, you know, we brought that up of – one of the problems with those Marvel shows is they are tied into the other Marvel shows. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit harder to approach each as like a, a little capsule, like, yeah, here's six hours of Luke Cage that I'm going to enjoy. It's sort of like, you got to get into the, whatever the show is, you got to watch that whole season yeah, and yeah. decide, you know, and then judge it against the other shows. And so that's cool that, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't think you spoiled anything. I think that, that set it up perfectly. Well, definitely. If you're if you're listening, going, well, I think I've gotten a sense of it. Believe me, I have I have purposely omitted quite a bit of really fun stuff. Um, that and just and again, just it's so well shot. It's just so pretty to look. like. The set does like the scenic design for this needs every bath to ever because and probably <laughs> it win because it's just it's so so great. On a side note, and I completely forgot this too. The guy who plays Norell's manservant looks exactly like Jack and Hagar and you're going to think it is him. It is not Jack and Hagar. It's a different actor, but the whole time <laughs> I'm just like, man, is that cause you're like, that's Thoros of Mir. That is Thoros of Mir. Is that Jack and Hagar? Is it? No, but is it? No, it, he's got that same kind of <laughs> kind of vibe about him. Looks exactly like that actor. Um, well, know. when you said Thoros of Mir earlier, all I could picture was Tormund Giants Bane. Uh, uh, yeah. the, big red, the big redheaded guy who's also done these bizarre travel commercials in Europe and Wait, maybe really? even in the States. Yeah. And he's like, I'm the travel wizard. <laughs> and it's like the corniest thing you've ever seen. You know, like when Shatner was doing those uh, uh, oh, Expedia or travel velocity, com travel velocity commercials or whatever Shatner did. And they like, it was that level of corniness. Um, for the for the Tormund Giants. Oh wow, well, you're and right. It's, it's totally like out of character. You're like, what is going on? Because he looks but, just like him, like the same yeah, he keeps the beard and wildling everything. beard and like crazy eyes. Um, yeah, he's, just right a, he's just in a crappy suit. So yeah, when you said Thoros, I was picturing that guy, and I'm like, how does he appear in this show and not sort of <laughs> like turn heads? You know. I mean, uh, he's he is. <sighs> Thoros is definitely a little slimier, you know, like. Well, uh, and this this character he plays is very, very similar. I mean, it, it literally is like he just walked off the Game of Thrones set and onto here, and they're like, okay, we're just going to give you a couple tattoos, well, a lot of tattoos, um, and just be a little crazier and go. And it's, I mean, it has that. 
kind of vibe to it. But yeah, it's yeah. I had to look up his name. It's Paul Paul K. Paul K. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Vinculus, right? Yeah. Or yeah, vincul- are, there's a lot of Harry Pottery names in this thing too, so you got to kind of you know keep that going. But um, yeah, it's I, I I tell you, man, like this. Oh God, there's so many more things I could get into, but I'd spoil a hell of a lot of it. <laughs> Well, that's – I mean I feel good about it. If you feel good wrapping it up right there, I'm uh, – you know, I told you before we started uh, season three of our podcast, like we could literally just uh, regroup every week and talk about what we've watched on Netflix because – Getting that way. My wish list is out of control on Netflix or my queue. Um, so we just – we talked about Luke Cage in our last episode. Uh, this is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell or Norrell? Norrell. Either or. He prefers Norrell, but it, okay. a lot of people go, Norrell. Yeah, and – and arc and get down and easy and all these things that I want to watch. Uh, now I'm interested in daredevil. Uh, and yeah, uh, you know, the get down I peaked at. Oh, really? I peaked at it. I probably need to give it a fair shake. It's, it, it's intriguing it's, to me only because Giancarlo Esposito's in it. And I'm like, man, I gotta give, I gotta give it some attention just for him. Um, who played, of course, Gus Fring in Breaking Bad. Like, if you know, <laughs> I, I will follow that guy to the end of time if he keeps that performance. Calibrated. Well, and it's it's Boz Lerman, right? And I don't yeah. have any like like connection to Boz Lerman, but uh, but just the story of early hip hop. I mean, I'm, I just can't wait to watch the. Get it Down. definitely has. It definitely has sort of the wink and a nod to the camera sort of vibe from what I could see so far. Gotcha. You know, like we're at, we're at any point. Did you ever see that um, miniseries on MTV or VH1 about the Temptations from like 10 or 15 years no, ago I that they ran like I crazy? Did. Like they re-ran like every two months. Right. They have a lot of that because a lot of that was – or even like what's a better example? Like any of those movies or like music documentaries where like the character will stop in the middle of the scene and like look at the camera and go, that's how it was back in the day. We oh, always had to try. Like oh, no. it has that kind of vibe about it. Yeah, I I, I brought up Boz because I don't always trust his. Like I don't always like you know. Yeah, he has instincts like that where I'm like, oop, uh, lost me. <laughs> but but uh. <laughs> and it's kind of um, like you know, oh I know I know what. Uh, but I do think he'll approach the music with respect, and that's oh, what I, I like about it. Well, yeah. and freaking Grandmaster Flash is in it as Grandmaster Flash, and nobody seems to care that he's 40 years older now. It's just like there he is. Like he's actually playing himself. Like, yeah, that's got to be surreal. Who I, I, else could do it. A more modern um, sort of example is that um, Jersey Boys, where you know, like right. they'll be playing, and like w- like one of the characters will like he's while still playing in the band, like on the Ed Sullivan Show, will stop and like break the fourth wall and like start talking about it. like that doesn't necessarily happen to get down, but it sort of has that kind of like you know, like it, feeling like it could happen at any time, which is a little like okay, well. All right. I mean, maybe it's. I've heard people brave about it, so maybe I just need to. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. I'm. Yeah, I only bring that up because there are a number of Netflix originals that I'm ready to dive into. uh, You know, in the absence of uh, Game of Thrones or or any of those other shows that we watch and talk about. We're in good hands when Game of Thrones finally ends. Uh, Really good hands. I mean, Westworld is just on HBO alone. We got. We could really just let these things pile up until. Game of Thrones. But we need something to tide us over until the next season, which there, yeah. we have a longer wait ahead of us. Yep. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm good with wrapping it up there. How are you feeling about that? I'm good to go. So where can folks find you? 
uh, I am on Twitter at Hey Todd A, and that is the main place to find me and interact with me. Where can people find you? Also on Twitter at Taylor Trask, and you can find the both of us on there.network. Yes, look for this and other shows there, there.network. <laughs> Uh, All right. Until our next episode of any show on which one of us appears, I'm Todd A. And you are Taylor Trask. Bye. Bye.